0: Um, I'm praying that you're really excited about the things that you're sharing, uh, that you have questions, comments. You know, we are we uh, myself and the media team is really working to make sure that we stay up on any information or questions that you would have. We are taking this thing pretty slow. So if you thought you were going to rush into something and I was going to rush into things, then you probably you might be a little uh, disappointed. But stay patient with me. Uh, We're building the foundation because we always Believe that you don't. When you when you're building um, a house, you don't start on the third floor. You got to start in the foundation and the basement and the first floor. And so we're building into something. But we believe that when you come out of this, you'll be more confident and assured about the things that God has shown us in His Word and about your place in them and how it really does end well for you and me, and how we have to compel other people. To come where we are so that it can end well for them as well all right so that's what we've been talking about and um, i pray that you continue to stay with us and be encouraged in this process all right it's going to speed up now uh, we have these objectives we've given you these seven objectives here so just want to remind you of them Number one, we said, is to provide perspective into God's prophetic scriptures. Two, to illuminate end-time events in a way that is consistent with all the other texts of the Holy Scripture, full of hope, faith, and love. Three, to acknowledge that God is both full of grace and mercy, but also judgment and vengeance. There are warming scriptures, but also warning scriptures. Four, to highlight principles, patterns, and personality profiles that appear repetitively scripture enabling us to look backward but see forward we said that's that's really part of the secret sauce of how we do this that's different from what you may have seen other people do five to develop a prophetic viewpoint that informs our view on global events but is not unduly influenced such that we try to conform biblical prophecy to current events resulting in speculation rather than spiritual expectations six to motivate you to be about your father's business through an understanding of God's prophetic time clock. The most exciting part of the game is in the final seconds. All right. Seven, to give you comfort, confidence, and hope that God has a plan for your deliverance from darkness as he ushers in the new age. All right. And so we have been giving you these um, eight critical Um, perspectives on end time events. And so that's the thing that we want to make sure that you are clear on today. Again, we're just walking our way through this list. And uh, we've been in number five for for a minute, and we're going to be in number five uh, for some more more time. But if we do this, then the other pieces will, they'll fall in place like dominoes. So uh, the first one we said is our perspective is influenced by this thing that what we call the preeminence principle. Jesus is the subject. Jesus is the subject. And sometimes when people teach on Revelation, they teach with other things being like those things are the main idea, and they're not. If those, If that is your goal, you think the Antichrist is bigger than Christ, then you really don't know, right? Number two, we said all the scriptures form a single book written by a heavenly author. It is 66 connected books, not 65 plus one appendix we aren't supposed to read or understand, right? Three, prophetic scriptures give us a sense of timing, time, time timing, and the times so that we can be in tune with the will of God and our generation, not drunk and disorderly like the world, or as the young people like to say, stay woke. Number four, there is a principle of prophetic pattern repetition that occurs in scripture, Often, biblical scholars find one instance of prophetic fulfillment and lock onto it as if it was the only one. Just because it is one doesn't mean it's the only one. And we continue to deal with um, number five, which is there is a pattern of prophetic types and shadows that over types and shadows that foreshadow the first coming of Christ. This is also true for the second coming, that there were these types of shadows. That we can see from Scripture that gave us a picture of what the forward was looking like, and we've been talking about that. We'll do that some more today, as well. I'm going to go on to number six just so that I can go through the whole list for a sake of completion. Number six says that um, Satan has always wanted to assume the place of God, whether in heaven and on earth throughout history. That will not change. Now, Pastor David, why is that so important? Because one of the things that, um, and Isaiah talks about a type of Satan, It talks about Lucifer and so on. And some people say, well, I don't know if that's Satan or not. Okay, well, let, I'll help you. I'm gonna help you. But one of the things he said is, I will be like the most high. I will be like the most high, right? The devil's always wanted to be God. That's why he always wants you to worship him. If you be the son of God, bow down and worship me. I'll give you all of this, but I want to be worshiped because I want to be God. Right? He's never going to be, but he's always wanted to be. And so we can see things that he's seen God do that he's always tried to imitate and substitute. Number seven is there are three distinct groups that have collective destinies being dealt with by God. The first is the nations of the earth. The second is the nation of Israel, which is a separate nation all by itself. And the third is the holy nation, which is the church. And then finally, there is a pattern in scripture of diverging destiny, some miraculously saved and others horribly lost. And I can't get away from that and you can't neither. Hallelujah. So all the best we can do is make sure that we're on the right side of that equation, right? Okay, so um, we have been talking from, our scripture has been second, excuse me, 1 Peter chapter 1. We've read verses 3 through 13 previously. I'm just going to go through verses 10 through 13 today. 1 Peter chapter one, and we're going to start at verse 10, and we'll go all the way down to verse 13. And it says, of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. These are Old Testament prophets, and they saw something that you were going to get on the other side of the cross in the resurrection of Jesus that they didn't get. Verse 11, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them. The Spirit of Christ was in them. In other words, the Spirit of Christ came to the plan before Jesus Christ did. The Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. Christ did the sufferings, we get the glories, All right. To them it was revealed, not to themselves, but to us they were ministering. So you can't just wipe out the whole Old Testament if they got a revelation that they weren't writing stuff for them, they were writing stuff for you and me, right? To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven." Things which angels desire to look into. There are some things that God gives revelation to the church that angels don't understand. That's what that just said. Okay? So there's things like angels come to church to get revelation just like you do. If it's a word, church, angels hearken to the voice of the word. God tells things to angels through preachers. Okay, that's why you want to be in a church that really preaching some word, not just, you know, giving you three points in a poem that sound all inspirational, but no gospel in it. You want somebody that's really bringing the word. You don't want them to dumb down the word, because if they dumb down the word, then they dumb down what your angels can do. Some, some, (laughs) some, Some angels make people look like they're on the short yellow bus to destiny because they're in a place where they're not really getting enough word for the angels to move on their situation. So listen, I'm not going to apologize. I know that there, there is a spirit in our age of people dumbing down the word to fill churches up, and I'm not doing that. Okay? So, all right, well, praise the Lord. Verse 13, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and rest your hope fully, Upon the grace that is to be brought to you at, same word that begins the book of Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ. So when Jesus appears, I'm expecting that there's grace going to be there for me. I have firmly placed that, my mind, to hope that, to expect that. That's the blueprint I have. When he sees Pastor David, he's going to look down and smile, and then there's going to be some power that's rising me up in Jesus' name. Okay? All right. So we have told you, we gave you these uh, gave you this list that there are five major types of Christ in the Old Testament. Let's look at that list again. We said that Christ, he is the last Adam. We said he is the priest after the order of Melchizedek. He is the seed of Abraham. He is the prophet like Moses and he is the king that sits on the throne of David. So then if I look at Adam, Melchizedek, Abraham, Moses, and David, I can see some dimension of Christ as a prophetic profile that tells me something about his ministry in the day in which we live. Got it? Those five characters are really important. Now, We spent time and we walked you through all five of them, but I'm going to spend some significant time today dealing with Abraham and Melchizedek because of those five types, those were the only two that were on the planet at the same time, right? So if both of them are like Christ, it's like Christ meeting Christ, but he's omnipresent. He can do that, right? Um, Because... Christ in you is Abraham. Christ at the right hand of the Father is Melchizedek. That's why I tithe. Okay? Um, so we're going to spend some time with that one. And then Melchizedek was king of Jerusalem in his day, but they was king of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is a very important thing to understand Because you have to understand some things about Jerusalem to really understand some things about the new Jerusalem. Okay? See how that back to the future is happening? If I really understand some critical things spiritually about Jerusalem, then it'll help me understand the new Jerusalem. All righty. So uh, as you know, we've been talking about faith and about, us being the seed of Abraham by faith and accessing the covenant promises in the blessing of Abraham by faith. Now, years ago, just tell your story, um, because it'll walk us into this passage of scripture with Abraham and Melchizedek. Years ago, got a call in the middle of the night from a distraught family member. And I knew he was in trouble. And um I knew I needed to get to him, but I did not know where he was. I needed to get to him, and I did not know where he was. I knew if I didn't get to him, I might lose him. So I got in my car, and I did two things. One is I'm standing on this scripture that I'm about to read to you because I'm accessing the blessing of Abraham. other thing I did just for the sake of, so that everybody knows, I was listening to a Brother Copeland CD that was talking about the blessing and how the blessing works in family, because I needed to be in the faith zone, like, I I, I was praying, but I was praying and seeking, and I couldn't, I couldn't miss this one, because if I missed it, I felt like something bad was going to happen, and I needed to get there, got it? Pastor Dave, why are you telling me that? Because, Through faith and patience, we imitate those who inherit the promises. I don't know if you're going to have to reach out for some family members, so I want you to know how I applied the word, and it worked, okay? So we're going to read Genesis 14, 8 through 24. A lot of scripture, but this is the scripture. This is after um, Lot bucked up on Uncle Abe. Abraham and said, um, even though Lot got blessed by being connected with Abraham, he thought that the blessing was his, not Abraham's. See, now, now listen, in your family, you really need to know wh- where the blessing is. Don't, don't get it twisted. And everybody don't is everybody gets a blessing, okay? but there are some people that are really conscious of carrying it and know how to carry it, and God is working with them to help multiple people. There's a lot of ministers in this church, but I knew that God was working on me, and that embedded in me obeying God is a lot of you being blessed by it, okay? Lot didn't understand that. He thought, Because he was hanging off and the blessing was rubbing off on him that the blessing was on him. When it was not on him, it was on Abraham, all right? So when he got big and bad enough, like the prodigal son, to take what the blessing gave him and to leave the person who had the blessing and do whatever he thought he was big and bad enough to do, then he went out on his own, but he got in trouble. And the person he left, who couldn't get offended with him, Let me say that again. Couldn't get offended with him. Let me say it one more time. Couldn't get offended with him. Can't get offended with people that you got to help. Right? Um, And had to get up off of his situation where everything was right to go help the one that was going wrong. Now, two things that he did for him. One was, in this situation, he went and got him out of trouble. The second situation when God was coming to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, he interceded, and then God brought him out. So both of those things are possible, and you should be in faith that if you had to do either one, that God going to give you which one to do, and you're going to do it, and he's going to be there, and He going to help you in Jesus' name. That's some good preaching. Yes, it is, Pastor David. And the king of Sodom, um, the king, Gomor- the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adma, the king of Zebuim, the king of Bela, that is Zoar, went out and joined together in battle in the Valley of Sidom against Ketelarimur, king of Elam, title king of nations, Amraphel, king of Shinar, and Ariok, king of Elasar. four kings against five. Now the Valley of Siddam was full of asphalt pits, and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled. Some fell there, and the remainder fled to the mountains. Then they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. They also took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods and departed. Then one who had escaped came and told Abram, the Hebrew, for he dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eschal and the brother of Aner, and they were allies with Abram. Now, when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed 318 trained servants, I call them the 18, who were born in his own house and went in and pursued as far as Dan. He divided the forces against them by night, and he and his servants attacked them and pursued them as far as Hobar, which is north of Damascus. So he brought back all the goods, and he also brought back his brother Lot and his goods, as well as the women and the people." And the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Sheba, that is the king's valley, after he returned from the defeat of Ketelarimer and the kings who were with him. Verse 18 through 20, this is where we get the tithe. This is how we tithe, verse 18 through 20. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Those are communion elements. He was the priest of, the, of, of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram, of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hands, and he, Abraham, gave him, Melchizedek, tithe of all. Got it? Now, Pastor David's revelation is that, on this is that not only is God possessor of heaven and earth, but Abraham is possessor of heaven and earth too. Now, there is no punctuation in the Hebrew. So where they put the comma was not in the original language. God got to tell you where the comma go. Okay. So I'm not changing the Bible. There was no commas in there. So they said the comma is blessed be Abram, of the most high God that God was possessor of heaven and earth. I'm saying that Melchizedek was saying Abram was possessor of heaven and earth. Now, Okay, I don't agree with you. Well, Abram is clearly in covenant with God. And the principle of covenant says, whatever I got, you got. That's why I tell you, when Nedra took my name, they'll let her go in the bank and spend it all. Because we got a covenant like that. Okay? And your Bible says, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Okay, so that's why we tithe. And we don't tithe to destiny generation. We tithe at destiny generation, but we tithe to Jesus, our priest, after the order of Melchizedek. Since he is our priest after the order of Melchizedek, when I tithe, Jesus has to say the same thing over me that Melchizedek said over Abraham because he's a priest after an order. That order was already established. In the, in the Old Testament, and I take it back to the future. So every time I tithe, this is what heaven has to say about me. So I take the step of faith that Abraham took, and I tithe like Abraham. Ain't no curse in that. No curse exists. We are not in Malachi. You know. You know. I didn't tell you those. Those. No. There's only a blessing in it. But that blessing is a blessing I want. That's why I tithe. All right. Um, so, so he brought it, he brought it back. He, he brought his um, nephew back and I brought my family member back too, in Jesus name. All right. So I went out, didn't know where I was going, just driving, listening to the word, meditating and God guided me because I could have been anywhere. I didn't know where to go. But God got me where I needed to be that night. I had to call 911, I didn't know what I was doing, where I was going, hey, I need some help. I called 911, calm down, okay, I'm trying to slow down, take a deep breath, no, I'm in a hurry, this is serious. But the lady called me through it, so when I got through the situation, I called back and told her thank you, right? Because giving is never complete without thanksgiving. That's the principle. Is this an emergency? No, 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 it's not an emergency. I was the person who called earlier. My name is David Johnson, called about this situation. I just want to talk to the lady. And I talked to her and told her, thank you. I'm just trying to help somebody because I I want (laughs) to, I'm just saying, okay? Because we want all, I want every lever. I want every lever. When I'm in a situation, I'm pulling every godly lever I got. And Thanksgiving is a lever, baby. Don't get it twisted. Jesus looked at the 10 lepers and only one came back. The rest of them got healed. That one got whole. Yeah, Thanksgiving will do something for you. I'm just saying. So I didn't didn't just rush off because it's over. They always get people complaining. I wanted to be the one that called back just to say thank you. And then you know what? Even though it wasn't an emergency, they put my call through to that lady, and I told her, thank you. All right, that's free. Hallelujah. Verse 21. Now, after Melchizedek came, the king of Sodom comes. Let's look at this figure. Now, the king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the persons and take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord God most high. That's covenant talk. He didn't just say, he wasn't saying I'm high-fiving God. He wasn't even saying I'm worshiping. He's saying I have a covenant. I raised my hand in covenant with God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I will take nothing from a thread to a shoelace, and that I will not take anything that is Lord yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. Some stuff God don't want nobody to get the credit. That's it, right. That's Except only what the young men have eaten and the portion of the men who went with me, Anar, Escar, and Mamre, let them take their portion. Now clearly, from Abraham's perspective... Doing a deal with the king of Sodom was like doing a deal with the devil. All right? You know, when I was a kid, we used to have CDs commercials, and there'd be a kid doing something, and then there would be an angel to pop up on one shoulder and say, Do the right thing, do the right thing. And then there would be a little forky tongue, you know, pitchfork. Pointy-tailed devil on the other side. Don't do that. Don't do that. And he had both, and and both of those things would be in just as cartoon. But y'all understand the picture, right? So here's Abraham. Now he's 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 got two kings from two cities. One city is a city of peace, Shalom, Salem, king of peace. The other one is the king of of a city that has alternative lifestyles and a place that's about to be burnt up. One, so there's two cities with two kings ruling. Okay? So if Melchizedek is a type of Christ, then clearly the king of Sodom must be a type of the antichrist. And now Abraham has to make choices. And so he had to decide, I'm going to tithe, not play the lottery, because it's $1.6 billion. (laughs) Huh? You got to decide which system you want to get up on. He said, I'm not getting up on the world system. I got a covenant with God, most high, possessor of heaven and earth. No man's going to be able to say they made me rich. No other person going to be able to take credit but God Almighty for what he has done in my life. Now, see, pastor went real contemporary there, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. People don't understand. Listen, listen. Listen. Now I'm going to Vegas, but I don't play because I'm like that. That won't testify good. <laughs> that won't testify. Now listen, your pastor want to be rich. Don't get it twisted. I I, I don't want to be filthy rich. I, I believe in lifestyles of the rich and faithful. Right. Not rich and famous. Rich and faithful. Because Abraham was rich and faithful. He was faithful, but he was still rich. Okay, but I'm doing it based on walking in covenant with God. I'm not doing it based on the world system because that same spirit is still in the world trying to make you rich. That same spirit came to Jesus and said, I'll give you all of these kingdoms. If you just bow down to me, that spirit ain't going no place. All right. Now, let's look at a scripture we've looked at before and see how these types play out. I told you about there's these two witnesses in Revelation. Now, in one account, those witnesses clearly had the spirit of Elijah. But in another account, I can look at those same two witnesses and say that they're a type of Melchizedek and Abraham standing in front of the king of Sodom. Because all of these three was in the same space, weren't they? They all came. It it wasn't like Melchizedek had left, and then he showed up three days later. This was all happening in the same space. All right? Okay. Revelation 11, verses 3 through 8. And it says, I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days, clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olives and the... Olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of Jacob. So verse three makes a reference to Elijah. Verse four makes a reference to um Zechariah, where the scripture says, Not by might, but nor by spirit, but not by might nor by power, but by the spirit. Verse five says, and if anyone harms them, fire the proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must. Be killed in this manner. These have the power to shut up heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. They have the power over the waters to turn them into blood and strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. When they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them and kill them and their bodies will lie in the streets of that great city which is spiritually called Sodom and and Egypt, Sodom and Egypt. Sodom, the same Sodom Abraham dealt with, Egypt, the same Egypt Moses dealt with. If it's spiritually like Sodom, then the two witnesses could be like Melchizedek and Abraham. If it's the same one, if it's like Egypt, then it's like Moses and Aaron standing before Pharaoh. Do you see how these types they're they're back in the future, okay? And so what we want to be able to see is is we want to to understand how these these five major types of Christ work because we will see them play out again in the future. All right, now that was one. Now let's let's go on down. Um, Media team, I'm going to go on down to uh, where it says he is the king on the throne of David, all right? Um, Jesus is the king on the throne of David. Now, I have a a slide there that talks about the five numbers in Hebrew, the numbers one through five in Hebrew, all right? Um, Here's Hebrews number one through five, all right? So, Ahad, Shenaim Shalosh, Arba, and Chamesh, all right? Pastor David, why are you telling me this? This is really important, okay? I'll never tell you something that was irrelevant. Okay, so um, so that's the numbers one through five. Now, um, in English, in English, I can look at some, at, um, I can look at words and and have some sense of the number by the prefix where it's it's unity, uniform, unanimous, unicycle, says one, right? Um, I am bivocational, two vocations. I ride a bicycle, right? If somebody is bipolar, Lord Jesus, help them, right? Something's biannual. The Trinity tells me it's a number three. A tricycle or triple tells me the prefix tells me something about it. Um, A quarter, quadruple, quadriplegic, okay, tells me it's something related to four. The prefix tells me something, right? Now I know if it's I know it can be more than one. Hebrew, it's not the prefix that tells me; it's the suffix that tells me. All right. So, for instance, the word the number five. Now, biblically, we call the word five is the word kamesh, right? Um, we say in 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 Greek or English that the first five books of the Bible is called the Pentateuch. Anybody ever heard that? That's, that's a Latin, that's a Latin European phraseology. So you wouldn't hear a Jewish person call it Pentecost, which is just 50 days since the Passover. That's what we would call it. They call the first five books of the Bible the Kumash, Do you see how it's very similar to how that one? So they can look at the word kumash and understand that it's it's something related to the number five because it's a lot like kamesh. Do you see that? Now, Pastor David, why did you tell me all of this? Why did you give me a Hebrew number lesson? Um, I gave you a Hebrew number lesson because the term Jerusalem In the Hebrew is Jerusalem. Jerusalem has the same suffix as Shanaim. So in the Hebrew concept, Jerusalem isn't just one city. It's two cities. They understand, even in the Old Testament, that there was an earthly Jerusalem and a heavenly Jerusalem. Got it? Jerusalem says they understood the the name itself tells me that there was there is an earthly Jerusalem and a heavenly Jerusalem from a Jewish concept those two Jerusalems are a twin city metroplex in geosynchronous orbit. They understand that heavenly Jerusalem and earthly Jerusalem are tied together. It's not just one city. It's not just the city you see. It's two cities working together. All right? Let's look at this. Let's look at this in Scripture. Psalm 122. Um, Psalm 122, verses 1 through 9. It says, a song of ascents of David. I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Now, verse 3 is the key verse. Jerusalem is built as a city that is compact together. It's actually saying that the city is built together like they're two cities together. Where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord to the testimony of Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord, for the thrones are set there for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. Peace be within your walls, prosperity within your palaces. For the sake of my brethren and companions, I will now say peace be within you because of the house of the Lord our God I will seek your good all right now remember that um when in in Abraham's day Melchizedek was a righteous king who ruled over Jerusalem all right but by the time by the time that um Joshua got on the scene, it was no longer a righteous city. By the time Joshua got on the scene, you know, there was the Ammonites and all these other, other ites and the mosquito bites. I'm not, just kidding. Um, the Jebusites were the people that ruled over Jerusalem at that time. It had changed its name from Salem, Shalom, to Je- um, Jebus and Jebusites were the people that ruled the city of Jerusalem at that time, all right? Now, um, Joshua had destroyed a lot of the tribes, but because Jerusalem was a city that was built on a hill and fortified, he couldn't break in. Joshua was, was not successful at taking Jerusalem, got it? All right? And so the person who was successful at taking Jerusalem, even though there were Jewish people all around the city, the person who was successful was David. Let's look at it. Um, Second Samuel chapter 5, we're going to read verses 6 through 9. And it says, and the king... King David and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who spoke to David is saying, you should not come in here, but the blind and the lame will repel you, thinking David cannot come in here. Now, they were selling wolf tickets. They were selling wolf tickets because they had been there a long time. Now, they had a reason to have that kind of swag. They were like, Joshua couldn't take us out. None of the old judges, Deborah, none of them dudes didn't do it. Samuel didn't do it. Saul didn't do it. Why, you think you're going to take our city? No, we can put, we can put the handicap team up in front of you and they'll still beat you. That's what they were saying. Now, I'm not trying to, that's what they said. That's your Bible. I didn't, I didn't put that on it. They said that. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is the city of David. Now, David said on that day, whoever climbs up by way of the water shaft and defeats the Jebusites, the lame and the blind who are hated by David's soul, he shall be chief and captain. Therefore, they say, the blind and the lame should not come into the house. Then David dwelt in the stronghold and called it the city of David. And David built all around from the Milo and inward. So because they had those natural advantages, they said, David, you can't get in here. And David said, he saw something that nobody else saw. He said, this gutter, which you treat as an exit, I can make it an entrance. David had a military strategy mind. He saw something. See, when it's your destiny, God will let you see stuff that other people can't see, right? David was the one who recognized as strong as Goliath was, he is still uncircumcised. He understood the covenant better than the rest of them brothers on his side because he wasn't the only one circumcised. If all of them army People on Israel's side would have dropped their draws. All of them were circumcised on the eighth day. But he understood it better than they did. Okay? So when it's your destiny, God gives you a way to do things that other people can't see, even if other generations couldn't figure it out in Jesus' name. Now, notice that when he took the city, he began urban development. He started at Zion. Zion was a special fortified section within the city. It was a hill section that ultimately will become the Temple Mount, right? But the whole city was up on a hill, okay? Um, Because of the level of the city on the top of the hill, you had to ascend physically. Whenever you make a pilgrimage um, to Israel, they say you are going up to Israel, not just physically, they're saying it's on a high level spiritually, so you're going upward whenever you go up to Israel. That's why they would sing song of degrees, song of ascents. Those songs were not the song they sung when they got to church. They were singing their way up to church. See, I'm about to rant. If you got if you got your song life right on the way to church, then the praise team wouldn't have to pump you up because you've been cussing and fussing in the car with your spouse in, on the way to church. If y'all could get it right on the way to church, it would be easy for us to get in the spirit once you got here. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Okay. And so... Um, they understood, Jewish people, when it says that these two cities were compact together, they understood, they understood, look look at me, they understood that earthly Jerusalem and heavenly Jerusalem are in geosynchronous orbit, that those two things work together. They are a twin city metroplex. So there are old... There are are Jewish people who don't know about the book of Revelation who can tell you about the new Jerusalem because they understood the old Jerusalem. They've been going back to the future for a long time. Let me read this. I I Actually, I have a a commentary, a Jewish commentary, not a Christian commentary, a Jewish commentary on the book of Psalms called the Tehillim, all right? And this is what it says. It says, this verse introduces the dual nature of Jerusalem's sanctity. Jerusalem is the place where heaven and earth earth meet in a spiritual sense. The celestial source of blessing is known as the upper Jerusalem because it corresponds to the lower Jerusalem. Right? People perceive this dual existence of Jerusalem, heavenly and earthly. Heavenly Jerusalem, now this is they don't even have the book of Revelation. This is what they say just reading the Psalms of David. Heavenly Jerusalem represents a utopian ideal of a perfect city, totally in harmony with God's wishes. When David designed earthly Jerusalem, he modeled it upon the example of heavenly Jerusalem and made every effort that both cities should become like a city that is united together. All right? So, what, now, Pastor David, why are you telling me all of this? Because they could look at earthly Jerusalem, and they can tell you more about the new Jerusalem than you and you, And you got the book of Revelation. Well, the problem is we don't read the book of Revelation. We just cherry-pick certain scriptures, but they actually read the book that God gave them. Got it? Okay. Now, let's see some things that mattered about this Jerusalem. First of all, it mattered not only if you took pilgrimage to the city. You had to at least three times a year, right? Right? Whatever city in Jerusalem, in Israel you lived in, you had to appear at the temple. Every male had to appear three times a year. Passover, right? Pentecost, which is the Feast of Weeks, and then the Feast of Tabernacles. So at least three times a year, they would have to go up. That's why when they were going up to Jerusalem, Jesus was somewhere in the crowd because everybody was traveling. Remember when he was 12 years old and he got lost? Everybody was traveling. They were caravanning because everybody had, that was like going to the convention. Right? So everybody was traveling, right? Now, um, because he was 12, and that's the age of bar mitzvah, up until that time, he was dealing with mama, but when he started, When he got there at 12, he would come back and he would be dealing with daddy because he's with the men. So that's why they thought he was with one or the other. (laughs) But everybody went up. Now, it not only mattered how you pilgrimage to to Jerusalem, it also mattered if you lived there. All right? Let's look at Psalm 87, verses 1 through 7. And it says, His foundation is in the holy mountains. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. Glorious things are spoken of you, O city of God, Selah. I will make mention of Rahab and Babylon to those who know me. Behold, O Philistia and Tyre with Ethiopia. This one was born there. And of Zion it will be said, this one and that one were born in her. And the Most High himself shall establish her. The Lord will record when he registers the people, this one was born there. It matters if you were born in Jerusalem. And it says, not only is it known by by natural citizenship, God knows who was born there. Right? Um. Verse 7 says, both the instruments, the singers and the players on instruments say, all my strings, springs are in in you. Okay, so Pastor David, why is this important to me? Okay, they had this thing about Jerusalem as a natural city. Why does it matter for me? Well, it matters everything for you. Let's look at John chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. John chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. This is... My man, Nick at night, you know, Nicodemus. There was a man of the Pharisees. That means he was a a religious leader. Man of the Pharisees, a religious leader, named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things, these signs that you do, unless God is with him. So he said, They have already decided the Pharisees, this is the early part. John 3 is the early part of Jesus' ministry. They had already decided that he was come from God, right? Now look at verse 4, Um, verse, excuse me, verse 3. Jesus answered and said, Most assuredly I say, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, One translation of this says born again. Another translation says born from above. Born again, born from above. Born from above is being born from the heavenly Jerusalem. All right? Nicodemus said to him, how can a man born um, be born when he is old, can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, You must be born again or born from above. Are you surprised that I'm telling you this? The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound, but cannot tell where it comes from. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. So if you're born from above, people can't look at you and know exactly where you came from. You look just like you're a natural person, but I'm not a natural person. I'm a supernatural person. My citizenship, the way the Apostle Paul said in Philippians, my citizenship is in heaven. I already am a citizen of the heavenly city because God has recorded that I was born there. The Lord has taken record because the Lamb's book of life isn't over there in natural Jerusalem. (laughs) You got that? There is a book with my name in it. I I, I have a birth certificate, and it's not in Jerusalem, right, over over in Israel, in natural Israel. My name is written in a, I have a birth certificate. I am registered as a citizen of heaven. All right. Verse 9, Nicodemus answered and said to him, "How can these things be?" Now look look at Jesus' response to Nicodemus in verse 10. Jesus answered and said to him, "Are you a teacher of Israel and do not know these things?" Jesus expected Because Jews understood earthly and heavenly Jerusalem that if he referred to heavenly Jerusalem, that a Pharisee ruler of the Jews ought to know better. Jesus expected him to understand that. Not based on some new based on what you read in Psalm 122. They understood that Jerusalem was earthly Jerusalem was only the one stop of it. Verse 11, most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. He's talking about the Father and the Son. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Well, I believe that I got my citizenship in heaven. I am born from above the Apostle Paul and the writer of Hebrews also uses this same terminology. Let's look at Galatians chapter 4. We're going to read verses 19 through 21. I know I'm reading a lot of scriptures, but listen, the heavenly Jerusalem, we are all depending on that place, aren't we? Okay, so I don't rush past this. This is the stuff that this is how I know that my name is written in the book. So I don't want to rush past this and try to get to some other thing. I want to make sure I understand how that place worked. Listen, everybody else concerned about a mansion, Jesus said, don't worry about that thing. I got that. I do my job. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. People are trying to figure out, you know, I can walk around heaven all day. No, no, you need to know what your pastor teaching you about now. This is the stuff you need to know, because this is the stuff that makes sure that the mansion that you got, got your name on it. Okay, so, so this is why we're taking the time to get all of this stuff understood. Now look at Galatians 4, we're going to start at verse 19 and go all the way down to verse 31. My little children, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you, I would like to be present with you now and to change my tone, for I have doubts about you tell me who you who desire to be under the law do you not hear the law so now he's contrasting people who are in Christ versus people who are in law the law is the covenant of moses right for it is written that abraham had two sons the one by a bondwoman talking about hagar the other by a free woman talking about sarah Which things are symbolic? We're going back to the future. Which things are symbols and allegory? They are telling us things. They are natural things, but they are showing something about spiritual things. For these are the two covenants. The one from Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai is the mountain that Abraham went to and all of the the loud noise and, and all of that stuff, and then God gave him the Ten Commandments. That was Mount Sinai, right? Mount Sinai, which which gives birth to bondage, which, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. All right? So this, this verse says that Hagar... Mount Sinai, and earthly Jerusalem now is all to bondage to the old covenant, right? Now, look at verse 26. But the Jerusalem above, the heavenly Jerusalem, where my name is and where your name is, is free, which is the mother of us all. I was born in that city. I want to go back to the motherland. No, this is the real motherland. (laughs) Listen, listen. If I never get back, I mean, when we went to the Canary Islands, I could see Africa off the coast, right? That's as close as I've ever been to Africa. But if I never get to that motherland, there is a motherland I'm planning to get to. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. There is a motherland. Jerusalem is the mother of us all. Somebody say amen. Verse 27. For it is written, rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear. Break forth and shout you who are not in labor for the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband now we brethren as isaac was are children of promise we are born of the new jerusalem like isaac was born of sarah got that verse 29 but but as he was as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him that was born according to the spirit even so it is now talking about Isaac versus Ishmael nevertheless, what does the scripture say cast out the bond woman and her son Sarah was like get them up out of my house for the son of the bond woman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman so then brethren we, are not children of the bond woman, but of the free. So here's some key thoughts here. There are two covenants. There is a new covenant, and then there is an old covenant. The new covenant is a renewed covenant. It is a renewed covenant of the original covenant with Abraham, right? But it gets renewed in Christ. If Christ be in you, you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. That new covenant is from Jerusalem that's above, because Abraham, according to the book of Hebrews 11, looked for a a city who had foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Anybody read Hebrews 11? said, Abraham looked for a city. We have a city whose builder and maker is God. Now, In the middle of Abraham's covenant, just so that people wouldn't go off the rails, God put another covenant in called Moses' covenant because everybody couldn't respond to just walking with God by faith. We had to give them some do's and don'ts, but that's not our covenant. The do's and don'ts are not for us. Now, there are do's and don'ts, but our covenant isn't based on them, right? Our covenant is based on believing God and God counting us righteous, All right, Um, now when I, while I am Old Testament, I am not Old Covenant, I see things in the Old Testament that were prophetically written for our dispensation, those are things outside of the law. However, Mount Sinai, the law, and Jerusalem below are symbolized by Hagar. We who are in the church, we that are under grace, and the heavenly Jerusalem are symbolized by Sarah and Isaac. We, like Isaac, our children of promise, right? Now, in this instance, if the son of the bondwoman, Ishmael, persecuted Isaac, then Ishmael, if Isaac is a type of Christ in us, then Ishmael must be a type of the antichrist, right? He's persecuting the one with the promise. The devil always raises up spiritual opposition to Christ, Any spiritual opposition to Christ, by definition, is anti-Christ, okay? We are born from above. Our names are written in the Lamb's book of life in heaven, all right? Let's see another contrast of Mount Zion and the heavenly Jerusalem, excuse me, Mount Sinai and the heavenly Jerusalem with Mount Zion, now let's look at Hebrews chapter 12, 18 through 25. Pastor David, why are you taking me through all of this? Because this is really important. This is listen, this is more important than singing about walking about heaven all day. This is how you go sweeping through the city. Right? This is more important than singing about your mansion. If you get this right, the mansion just comes with it. But this is the real stuff that matters. Okay, this is, how, this is how you know your name is written in heaven. Somebody say amen. All right, Hebrews chapter 12, we're going to read verses 18 through 25. For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burn with fire and to bar- blackness and darkness and tempest. This is talking about when God came down and spoke with Abraham, the children of Israel, it was so scary They were like, Moses, we don't want God to talk to us no more. We want you to just talk to him. Scripture says, even Moses said, I fear and exceedingly shake. It's scary even to me. But that was the old covenant because the law came with all of that display that, that, that included wrath. Verse 19, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, So that those who heard it begged that that word should not be spoken to them anymore. Verse 20, for they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches the stone, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I'm exceedingly afraid and trembling. But we don't come to Mount Sinai. We come to Mount Zion. That's not our covenant. Now, look at verse 22. Now, verse 22 to 25, when I say, when I'm reciting the Lord's prayer, when I say, who art in heaven, this is the stuff I pray through. I don't pray about no mansion. This is stuff I'm praying about. But you have come to Mount Zion. So even the heavenly Jerusalem has a mountain in it. The city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Now, there are different classes of beings there, right? There is an innumerable company of angels. They are the serving class. They are the slave class. In in heaven, angels never sit down because servants don't sit. They serve. They don't get tired. But you are seated with Christ in heavenly places. You get a sit. they don't get a seat. You never see in Scripture where an angel sat down with God. Gabriel said, "I stand before the God of heaven and earth." but you get you get to sit down and innumerable company of angels. Now here's us. To the General Assembly and Church of the Firstborn who are registered in heaven, my name is written there. Now, see, that right there is shouting materials. My name is registered in heaven. Now, not only is it the General Assembly, it's the Church of the Firstborn. In the Old Covenant, the firstborn is the one who got the main blessing. The double portion went to the firstborn. God gave the firstborn status to all of us because Jesus is the firstborn among many brethren, and we are joint heirs with Jesus. So we all get firstborn status. Right? But your name got to be written there. To God, the judge of all. Notice... The picture of God in heaven is not just God the Savior. He's God the judge. He, to, to God the judge of all, okay? The, the General Assembly and church is the same thing, but it's just, General Assembly is just like it's a convention. Like there's, um, in Ephesians, it talks about the whole family in heaven and in earth, right? but I like the way um, Bishop Otis Floyd said on when he did his um, Revelation 19 song, Hallelujah, Salvation and Glory, he said, they can't crown him king until I get there, right? Because the General Assembly has to be there. Everybody has to appear on the day that Jesus is coronated, all right? Now, um, then it says to God the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect. What is that? That is Old Testament people who died right with God before Jesus came, died, and was resurrected. Those are the Old Testament saints who are grandfathered in, even though they didn't accept Jesus when he was alive because Jesus wasn't alive when they was walking the earth. Got it? Now let's look at verse 24. Jesus... The mediator of the new covenant talks about the fact that that uh, Abraham was the mediator of that old covenant. But Jesus is now the mediator of the new covenant. Watch this. Now there's another resident that's also important in this city and the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. Abel's blood says punish him. Jesus' blood says, give him mercy, give him grace. Jesus' Jesus' blood says, cleanse them, acquit them. Abraham, Abel's blood cried out to God for, for vengeance. Jesus' blood cries out to God for mercy. That's why I plead the blood of Jesus. Now, see, when I'm praying and I say that, You're my father who art in heaven. This is what I go through when I think about heaven. I don't go. Now, see, if you want to talk about streets of gold, that's fine. But that's not giving you the power. This is where the power is. This is where the power is. All right? This is where the power is. Whew. Lost my place. Sorry about that. I'm getting there. All right. Verse, what's the next verse there? 25, all right. Verse 25 says, See then, see that you do not refuse him who speaks, for they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, shall much more, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven. Amen? All right, this is really, really important stuff. This is really important stuff. There's something there, I'm sorry. I had something going on with my, with my notes here. Um. Now, Pastor David, why is this so important? Because if if I believe that this city exists, if I believe that um, that this, this is a real place. Now, both Old Testament and New Testament describes the heavenly Jerusalem as a real place, doesn't it? A real city, like with streets, a city that has terrain to it. It has... Mountains and hills, Mount Zion, okay, Um, then I don't have a right to then say when when Scripture describes another spiritual city that's not the bride but the whore, right, and calls it Mystery Babylon, I can't say that that's not a real city. If this one's real, either I got to throw them both out or put them both in okay so if one exists then the other one has to exist too because the same book told me about both of them okay um also I want to make sure I understand it, it was interesting I was reading and they said our, our president tweeted God bless him, pray for him in Jesus name. he tweeted that um even, even the new Jerusalem has walls and has an immigration policy. Hold it, bruh. Hold it. Stay in your lane. I know you got a bunch of evangelical Christians who are co-signing you, but stay in your lane. That's not your lane. This is my lane. Before you start talking about there's walls in that city, the cross is my statue of liberty. God, Jesus stretched out his hands and said, bring me your huddled masses and if they believe on me, I will give them, I will grant them citizenship in my city. My blood will cleanse them and they can, they can be saved and their household if their household believes in me. Yeah, there is walls, but everybody can get in if they just sign up. Stop trying to take text out of context to support your political position and trying to put the Bible on locking up children. Stop it. All right, that's. That's Pastor David's rant for today. all right? All right, but we're going to understand this, and then we're going to go from this one and really start to deal with now the things of Satan. But we had to do, I don't want to ever make the Antichrist bigger than the Christ, but if this stuff is true, what we'll see is, what we're going to see is that one of David's descendants, Hezekiah, who was a king, showed the secrets of Jerusalem to the the messengers from Babylon, and they took down and said, we're going to one day in one generation come back and take Babylon. And from that day to this day, Satan has a system of Babylon that's always been trying to enslave the church and God's people. And we're going to understand Satan's types from the Old Testament and how the enemies to this day still tries to do what the Babylonians did to the children of Israel in the Old Testament. Amen. Did you get some out of this?